especially liked it. Uh, he, he made the comment um, that what we love, we hang on to. You remember that? Okay, what we ha- love, we hang on to. And I couldn't help it. I was sitting next to my wife, Reagan, on the other side. I tapped Reagan. I said, that's why you're never getting married. <laughs> Because I love you, and I'm going to hang on to you. Yeah, she didn't like that. But anyway, uh, I, that's my application as a father. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> but anyway, no, I appreciate the, uh, the Sunday school hour, the morning worship. Boy, great truth in those three resolutions that will guide us and direct us through life. Now we want to look at a message this evening entitled simply this, A Never-Changing Truth for an ever-changing life. It is a simple, straightforward message tonight, really one of encouragement and just a reminder of what life is really like. You know, I love a good book with a great plot. Uh, for a younger generation, maybe a movie, but uh, I, like, I'm, I love a story that changes. Uh, it doesn't stay the same. It's not a boring story, and I, I can't always see where it's going. I don't know what's happening next. It's always kind of changing. It's throwing in some great surprises, exciting events, scary elements, and mountaintop adventures, dangerous valley experiences, good morals. I, I love a great book uh, that, in essence, uh, is a kind of story that you don't know what's coming next. You, you just don't know What's going to happen? It keeps you on the edge of the seat. You can't put the book down. And boy, I love that. And or if it's a movie, you're mad when at the end it comes up to be continued. That's the worst, right? And uh, something like that, uh, a sequel, or whatever the case may be. I mean, that, it, just to read something that keeps you on the edge of your your seat. I'm reading right now a historical novel concerning the, probably uh, this pointless in a sense, but it's the Israelite Mossad. It's their special services and uh, things they did in the last century and things I think that God even worked and did to protect Israel and guided and directed their special service, secret services and things like that. Just an interesting thing. You never know what, what quite is coming. That's exciting. I like being on the edge of my seat and not being able to put that book down. However, if you're reading a story or if you've read the book several times or maybe you've seen the movie several times, you know the whole story. Some of us can quote what's coming next in a movie or we can say what's on the next page. It doesn't really grip our heart as it once did. Uh, it doesn't have us on the edge of our seats, we might say. Um, it doesn't capture our attention. Worse yet, have you ever watched something with somebody who's already watched it? And then that kind of person that tells you, oh yeah, I love this part. This happens and this, this, and this. It's like, are you serious? Don't do that to me. So if you're that person at home, don't do that. We have one, my daughter does that every once in a while. In addition to playing board games together, going on hikes or whatever the case may be, together walks. And uh, we've been watching some uh, TV family shows and things like that, or movies, I should say. And uh, she'll look ahead and read the description and say, oh, yeah, this is happening. Don't do that, Half Pint. You're ruining it for me. I mean, I don't like that. Because then it just kind of takes out the, the enjoyment of, of seeing what's happening, what's going on next, and so forth. Well, I'll tell you, I think that the best stories are the real ones. And I'll tell you one of the best real stories is history. I love history. Not the uh, make-believe, not the fantasy things, no history. I sure am thankful for the history found in the Bible. There's too many people that disregard the history of the Old Testament. They kind of just wave it to the side. Well, there's not much to learn there. Oh, friend, uh, that's so ill-informed. Yet sometimes, if we're not careful, we become over-familiar with it. We know it so well, the stories of old, the stories of Israel and such, that we can miss the amazingness and wonder uh, when we read it again and again and again. It's really a shame because not only does it seem boring to us, but we miss out on what history is intended to be. 
Now, for a Christian, from a believer's viewpoint, history ought to be different. I like what one person has said in the past. He said this, history is described as his story. See, all of history is theocentric. It ought to surround God. It ought to be revolving around him and pointing to him. And truly, for us as believers, our study of history ought to always be the lens through which we view the mighty power of God, the displays and revelations of his character, his heart, and his will playing out before us. And what an exciting thing that is, to see the story unfold. It would do us well to, uh, to note that God often reminded Israel of their past, of his past dealings and workings with them, and of his faithfulness and amazing power displayed on their behalf. Now, if I were to bring to you the story of the Old Testament, the story of the Jews, and you'd never seen it before, and you read it from the day one and, and Abraham all the way to, to maybe when they were carried away into captivity, I'm telling you, that is an exciting story. You're talking about ups and downs and turns and adventures and valley moments, mountaintop moments and scary events. Oh, my goodness, what a story for a nation. It's an exciting story. Then you take it back even further and you bring in creation when God spoke into existence animals and the sun and the stars and all the land. And my goodness, what a story we have before us in the pages of Scripture. Uh, Truly exciting if you think about it. An amazing story of who God is. It really speaks. And I'll tell you, boy, you take that and you got a blockbuster on your hand. More importantly, you have a fantastic expose of the very character of God. A revelation of who He is. Well, may I tell you, Psalm chapter 136 kind of stands alone in that it does that. It presents to us a rather simplified but amazing history. Look with me there, if you will, Psalm chapter 136. And presenting this to us, the author of it has incorporated an unfailing, never-changing truth that comes shining through on every page of the book. If we're going to compare this to a book, it comes through on every page of the book. How do we know that? Because it's written in every verse in Psalm 136. You see it there? Notice it. Just look down Psalm 136. You'll quickly understand and see that the end of every verse is simply this. For his mercy endureth forever. And there is a constant theme throughout this book, this story. His mercy endures forever. And really that is, may I say it, and really the thrust of this evening's message and sermon is a reminder that, friend, every chapter, every page of your life, His mercy endures forever. Look at verse 1 with me, if you will. Notice it. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. I would compare this to what we say, um, uh, the idea of um, the introduction. This is kind of the teaser, maybe on the back of a book, and it's simply this, God is good. In response to the reality that in history in our lives, he then deserves our thanks. So his goodness is on display. He is good. There's no arguing about it. God is good. Literally, he is goodness incarnate. He's not just the author of it, but he is the full embodiment and essence of good. So we have the setting of the tone for the whole book, or shall we compare it to a movie, whatever the case may be. 
uh, earthly story. You might say, okay, Pastor Henry, what's this book? Is it a mystery? Is it, a, is it like a drama? Is it an adventure or is it a romance? Uh, you kind of know that going in, don't you? When you think, okay, I'm going to read a mystery. I'm going to read this kind of book. Or I'm going to watch this kind of movie. Well, here the genre is what life is all about. It's a story about the good God of heaven at work in the realm of mankind. And that proves this truth that runs throughout this chapter. His mercy endureth forever. Now, as we look at this word mercy, and I clicked on it a little earlier, but notice it, this mercy incorporates his loving kindness. So when we're in mercy, we, might, uh, we don't want to use a limited definition of the term mercy. It's really his loving kindness, his kindness. In fact, the same Hebrew word is translated over 65 times, either uh, kindness or loving kindness. And so we see that this is a very broad uh, picture with this word mercy. It's, a, it's really the overarching theme of the book. It'll be presented and supported and proven with every page we turn. But I would also submit you this. It's not just the overarching theme of this chapter as we compare it to a book. It's of your life and mine. And I would remind you of this. See, too often we forget the simple truth that God's mercy endureth forever. A pandemic comes. A difficulty financially, health result comes that we don't like, and our world is turned upside down. I'm missing out on things. And you know what? We can often leave off the postscript that every believer ought to have with every uh, recount of some event in our lives. It's simply this. You know what? This happened to me, and I had to face this, but his mercy endureth forever. It ought to be everywhere. It ought to be often repeated, mentioned, thought about, emphasized with every story, every chapter, every season of our lives that we reflect on. And I will tell you, you say, well, why in the world does the author of Psalm 136 repeat this? You know why? Because some of us are hard-headed. Some of us are slow at learning. And he's saying, listen, you ought to be able to list every single season and every single chapter of life. You ought to tell yourself, for the mercy of the Lord endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. God's mercy, his love, his loving kindness endureth forever. I may be going through a valley and everything may be changing, but this one thing I know, his mercy endureth forever. You can hang your hat on that, so to speak. That is the point of the author. Like any great story, verses 2 through 4 give us a description of the main character. I like how the authors can define and describe in a, in a broad way a, a main character or the characters. Obviously, here it's God himself. Look at verse number 2 with me, if you will. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. It's a great statement. He is the God that is above all gods, the one and only Lord of lords and of all master. He alone performs the greatest of wonders. May I submit it to you this way? You know what the author is saying? God in heaven is the perfect character. No flaws. No sordid history. No wrong motives. No outlandish issues. Here is the God of heaven in all his majesty, his holiness, his perfectness. He is worthy of praise and thanks. That he would even consider us as mankind. That he would do so much on our behalf, not only in history, but in every day. May I remind you today that your God took a vested interest in you today. He did. Uh, this is a difficult time we're living in. And 
It's hard to stay connected. I've texted people, called people from the church and so forth, and yet haven't been able to get through the whole thing. And boy, you talk to people like, I just miss the being there at church. Boy, I miss just talking with folks. I miss the communion, the fellowship, and connecting with folks. I'm so lonely. And boy, you hear it all that we're done. And I'll tell you, uh, certainly we've been trying to talk to different folks, myself, pastoral staff, the deacons, trying to reach out with for every member and so forth. But boy, uh, it's impossible. It'd be impossible for us to do it every day, every week, and uh, even every couple weeks. It's hard to connect with everyone. Hey, can I tell you, God in heaven took a vested interest in you and me today. Uh, the lady sang it. it. Boy, it hits my heart. Every time I hear that song, I grew up listening to that song. And when he says the reality of he knows my name, he knows me by my name, that the God in heaven among millions and billions of people knows Stephen Henry personally, knows you personally. He takes a vested interest. Man, what a great God we serve. And friend, he is a great God showing great mercy and love to you and I who are but lowly mankind. The author says, man, this is the character. (laughs) You want a story about a hero? This is it. This is the God of heaven and all his glory and majesty. Now, the story really begins in verse 5. So that was kind of the introductory. We got introduced to the, the main character, we might put it that way. And now he recalls how he alone created all we see. Look at verse number 5. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that stretches out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. Notice it. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endureth forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endureth forever. Now this is some kind of main character because what you see is here, the psalmist didn't have to set the stage. He didn't have to uh, create the environment or the scene for us. God did it. (laughs) The main character did. He created the heavens. He created and stretched out the earth and the oceans and the lakes and the the rivers. His creative touch is witnessed in the powerful sun that rules by day and the, the beautiful moon and stars that govern the night sky. He hung all of them. He decorated the world around us that we inhabit with incomparable beauty. And my friend, that is a gift in and of itself from God. Gift that you and I do not deserve. You look all around you, the trees, the bushes, the the beautiful landscape, the mountains. If you're in that kind of area, you name it. Boy, you look around. And for us here in the Thumb of Michigan, I'm telling you, I've grown in love with cornfields. That may be because I grew up in Indiana. Uh, But, man, I just love seeing cornfields and fields of grain and things. It's so beautiful. Man, it just reminds you that all of creation is a postcard for the mercy and love of God. That's what he's saying. Man, friends, listen, our God is in every page, every season of life. He's all, his mercy and his love is displayed all around us. Look up and you see the warm, bright sun. Boy, after a Michigan winter, there's nothing like a warm day looking up and seeing the sun, is there? Ah, the warm, bright sun, the glowing, beautiful moon and stars. My kids were so excited for uh, summer to get here, they tried to camp out the other night. I think they're all inside by like 2 a.m. Anyway, I think that's Friday night, but it was a beautiful night. Early on, you look up, and man, the stars are shining, the moon, and my goodness, you feel small, but I'll tell you, I may feel small because of that, but it speaks of a great creator, large and beautiful, big, huge creator that we serve. 
It shows his mercy and love that he allows you and I to enjoy such things. And here's the good truth. These are his handiwork, a testimony to that mercy and love. But these aren't just part of Israel's history, their story. You and I enjoy it as part of our story. We get to read it. We get to see it. It's part of my life. He lets me enjoy them. Boy, we ought to thank God for that. Isn't that what he says? Verse 1, even verse 26. I'll give thanks unto the Lord. Notice verses 10 and 15. And we're just kind of doing a survey of this history. I think it's fantastic. Beautiful presentation by the author of this psalm to us. The story becomes now very specific to Israel. We get into the nitty-gritty, the big part of the plot, if you might put it this way, in her history. Look at verse 10. We'll read down through verse 15. Notice it. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever, and brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endureth forever. With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever. And made Israel a pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. But overthrew Pharaoh uh, and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. You see, to some Jews who were in Egypt, It seemed like after Joseph's death that God had gone quiet. That this God of Jacob, that this God of even Joseph and God of his brothers, he just was kind of quiet. There wasn't much going on. In fact, a a nasty Pharaoh came on the scene who, who didn't know Joseph and didn't care. And boy, they tormented the Jews. And for them, it seemed like God was quiet for so many years. There seemed to be little action on the part of God in front of their eyes. But they were reminded By God himself, and especially through Moses, something that you and I must remember too. See, when you don't see God at work front and center, you can be assured that he is working behind the scenes. In everyone's life, in every situation, he's there. He's, he's at work. He doesn't leave you alone. He doesn't stop working in something. No, he works all things together for our good. He, he is there working and doing things to bring about his perfect and good will. And all of that work that he had done and was doing during that time, it culminated really in some of the most amazing displays of God's mercy and love that history has ever witnessed. Can, can I tell you this? It's so amazing of a story that Hollywood couldn't even pass it up. Hollywood made tons of movies about this part of Israel's history. They've tried to recreate it and it failed miserably. Why? Because this is the most amazing story. And for you and I, you know what ought to amaze us? Something that we sing about, his amazing love. What moved God to do what he did in Egypt and the Pharaoh and all these amazing, fantastical plagues? His love for the nation. Boy, his mercy endureth forever, amen? And it poured out on the pages of their history here. God showed his authority and sovereignty over all the world through his plagues. Is he the the sovereign of all creation? You better believe he is if he can turn the Nile to blood. If he can cause animals to come and locusts. and If he can cause the frogs to get everywhere. Yuck. Uh, I mean, um, that is the most vivid description. Remember, they were in all the things the women were using to cook and everything. Their ovens. and I mean, That's disgusting. I mean, maybe if you like frog legs. But anyway, uh, I mean, just disgusting. I mean, God c- controlled it all. His authority and sovereignty on display. And then he puts Pharaoh in his place by taking all the firstborn of Egypt. And what does this author say? Put it in the proper context. The theme, his mercy endureth forever. 
Boy, Israel could have never dreamed to escape from Egypt, to be free from slavery in such a manner as this. Here was the outstretched, strong hand of God touching those, don't miss it, those who thought they were untouchable. This was God in heaven uh, touching those who were the master of their own ways. The most powerful nation in that time learned that there was a God all the more powerful, that they were nothing in his sight. He did what no one else could do, delivering Egypt, or excuse me, Israel from slavery in Egypt, going before them, parting the tremendous Red Sea, leaving the dry ground in the middle so the whole nation could cross. And then, and then, There was one last lesson for all the world to learn. Here comes Pharaoh. See, it was a lesson to all those who think they can stand against God. They can go against God, that they can win, that they can defeat God, that they can uh, go against with his plan, his will, and his way. You see, it's a vivid reminder that if you think you can go against God, just remember the watery grave of Pharaoh. And all of Egypt's famed armies. It was quite the scene I could just imagine. Could you imagine what it was like? And we know as they got on the other end, they raised songs of praise and worship as a nation and so forth. And they saw literally the Red Sea come together upon the host of Egypt. And uh, forgive me, but that would not be something that you just turn your back on and walk away from. You would stay there on the shore and watch. And I, uh, gruesome as it may have been, you can imagine all the debris from all of those thousands of chariots coming to the top. Bodies begin to floating. And as they fill the top level, they covered the entire horizon most likely as the Jews looked across the Red Sea and I'll tell you you know what they thought and what they were reminded of for his mercy endureth forever for there on top of the Red Sea was strewn an army that could have defeated them like that and yet the mighty arm of God came on their behalf the hero stepped in boy we love a good story when the hero steps in don't we we love it when he comes to the rescue and so he did You see, this was the mercy and love of a powerful and unmatched God in action. This is the God that walks with his people through every valley and in every situation. And let's make it personal. This is your God. This is my God who is ever with us, ever ready to unleash his matchless power on our behalf. My, what a great God we serve. And truly, his mercy endureth forever. The next chapter now begins with verse 16. We turn the page and we come now to to this verse, just a singular verse. It says this, To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. Israel begins a new season in their history as a nation, we might put it this way, in their existence as a a self-sustaining nation or certainly a God-sustaining nation. But it would not be without the normal adventures and challenges and, and trials. For this time, what we see is this. The enemies of Israel no longer uh, oppress Israel from without, but were rather the enemies within. See, hunger and fear and thirst and doubt and worry and lust and desire for the past and uncertainty. These were the main enemies of the wilderness. These were the ones that oppressed them and came at them. And this was the the unseen turn in the story. Like, oh, uh, yeah, God defeated Pharaoh and those. and, And down the road, he'll defeat great nations and things. But now it's the enemies within. 
And yet against every foe, what's the author of this psalm saying? That our God is faithful. He protects. He preserves. He provides. And He defeats the opposition. I just put before you, His mercy flowed in that wilderness and His love shone brightly as the sun. It's a vivid reminder and a great reminder as we think back to the stories of how God watched over them and helped them defeat even the enemies within and their hunger and their thirst and their lusting for things and so forth as He taught them and grew them. You know, it's a good reminder that through the seasons and through the scenes of life that change, this truth does not. God's love and mercy endureth forever. The God who showed His mercy and love in such miraculous ways was also the God that brought water from a rock. A God that caused manna to come down. A God who provided quail and other means of meeting their, their needs. Providing sustenance. You see, my friend, we serve a great God. A God of many different actions and in many ways who shows Himself strong on our behalf. Then comes once again the human enemies that attack them. That's recorded for us in verses 17 through verse 20. Again, quick overview to him. Verse 17, to him which smote great kings for his mercy endureth forever and slew famous kings for his mercy endureth forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endureth forever and Og, the king of Bashan, for his mercy endureth forever. One after another, while there in the wilderness and then into the promised land, the earthly kings thought they could take advantage of a fleeing, broken, and displaced people to prey upon uh, these Israelites. This is the part of the story. And, and don't, don't you like it in the part of the story? You ever get to, you're reading a book and, and it looks like one of the main characters and, or, or some important character is about to die. And you're like, that person can't die. They can't let him die. You know, whether it be a movie or a book, you're like, that can't happen. That's what this is. I mean, you look at Israel and you, comparatively to all these nations and these famous kings, as even the Bible says here, famous and mighty kings, great kings. This is the time they should have been gone. They should have been wiped off the earth. I mean, this, Israel didn't stand a chance. If we could put it into context, we might describe it as uh, in these terms. You think about it when, um, when Israel was looking at these enemies. I mean, here they were. They, they had, didn't have a national army. They didn't have a military. Here were these nations who had a military, who had been equipping that military for at least Decades, if not centuries. And there's poor Israel. No trained military, a bunch of slaves. Only days to prepare. We might describe as we read a book as a hopeless situation. This is where in an earthly movie we read to be continued. A cliffhanger, we call it. This is where what's going to happen. And yet we know in these hopeless situations, that's a time in which the hero shines best. And so it is here scripturally. The history of Israel, God takes care of them all. He spares, uh, takes care of them all, that being the kings. He spares Israel in miraculous ways. He defeats these armies of renown, kings of great fame. Now, in a, in a fantasy uh, novel or story, in a, in a movie or a book, we would say this. Well, that isn't real. Nobody can win all the time. No one can always be the one who goes through a fight and lives, and they're always the one who comes out on time. And That's just make-believe. That's not real. I'll tell you, in Hollywood, you're right. That's not real. But in real life, God always wins. 
God always wins. He always comes out on top. May I put it this way? This is the God of heaven in all his glory, in all his mercy, in all his love, doing only what he can do. He does come out every, on top every time. He is a consummate winner, and so are those who follow him. I was thinking today as I was reviewing the message this afternoon, you know, we'll look at somebody who wins a lot of, a lot of victories, and we'll say, wow, they're really a winner. They're, they're just a winner. And we might say, boy, they, they put back several victories, maybe a couple seasons where they win a lot of games. We'll say, ah, they really are a championship team. They're a champion. Well, we'll look at a team that maybe puts several years together and say, oh, that's a dynasty. Well, what do you call somebody who wins all the time, every time, always comes on top? I'll tell you what you call that. You call that God. Because no human does that. And that is your God and that is my God whose mercy and love endures forever. My, it's good to be on God's team, isn't it? It's good to see, as this author puts it, here is who God is. He is mercy and love. Move him to fight for us, to be inserted into every battle. And it isn't just yesterday's battle. It isn't just today's battle. It includes tomorrow's battles, too. Our God is right there with us. Now, the next chapter of the book, if we might put it as such, verses 21 through 24, give us the aftermath of these great victories. Look at verse 21 with me, if you will. And gave their land for an heritage, for his mercy endureth forever. Even an heritage unto Israel his servant, for his mercy endureth forever. Uh, who remembered us in our lowest state, for his mercy endured forever. And hath redeemed us from our enemies, for his mercy endureth forever. I like good stories in which you have a great hero who defends the poor. He not only defends them, but he takes care of the downtrodden. He, he reaches out and helps those who are down on their luck, the poor and lowly, the defenseless. And such is the story of God's mercy and love extended to Israel and, frankly, extended to all of mankind. Here he is, he defeats all these great kings and all these great nations and people. And he turns around and gives their land as a gift to Israel. An inheritance to the generations to come. One that uh, we will even see fully uh, fulfilled in the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. He promises that to them. I like how the author points it out here in a little bit of a, uh, alliteration for us. He says, you know, God um, remembered Israel when they were nothing. They were lowly. They were nothing. We mentioned it this morning. It's a, punch into our, it's a punch to our pride, but it does us good to remember us. I am nothing apart from God. We are nothing. And so when they were nothing, the reality is God remembered them. And God redeemed Israel when they were doomed before their enemies. And God rewarded Israel when they didn't deserve anything. He gave the land as an inheritance. They deserve an inheritance? No. Especially how they acted in the, the wilderness and lack of faith and trust. It makes for a great story, doesn't it? When such a great hero helps the helpless and is kind to them abundantly above what they could even dream or imagine, certainly what they deserve. And yet that same story is a story we share in, isn't it? Because we can say the same thing. God has remembered us when we are nothing but sinners. God has redeemed us when we were doomed by our enemies of sin and death in the grave. And boy, God has rewarded us with eternal life with Him when we didn't deserve it. And what a great part of the story. Here it is true of Israel, and it's certainly true of you and I. And all we can say is what the author says in response. 
truly, his mercy endureth forever. He finishes it up with verses 25 and 26. He paints a broad picture with the stroke of his pen here. Notice verse 25. Who giveth food to all flesh, for his mercy endureth forever. Who give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. You know what a good author or director of a movie does? They do a good job of bringing the reader into the story. They do a good job of making you incorporate yourself and thinking, oh, I'm a part of the story, and I, I, boy, I'm right there with the characters here, and I'm just going through, and boy, that makes you not want to put the, the book down. It makes you uh, be on the edge of your seat. And may I tell you, that's exactly what the author does here. Yeah, he uh, says simply a statement, and he brings us all in. He says, God giveth food to all flesh. God giveth food to all flesh. You know, the fact is this. You and I can't go very long without being touched by hunger, can we? Some of us were just joking right before the service that some people have been eating during Sunday school when they're watching. Now, I, I was joking I'm going to have a donut and coffee. No, I'm not a coffee drinker, but uh, orange juice right here next to it. No, I'm joking. Hey, I know it's tempting there at home to eat. You know, we, uh, some of us sitting here, we're ready to get back home and eat, right? Get some food. If you're a teenager, it's about 12.3 minutes before you start getting hungry again after eating. You're like, well, I'm hungry. What's, for, what's to eat? What is there? And we're all touched by hunger at some time. And we're all even touched, even maybe not just hunger. Have you ever have a hunger for one specific thing? I mean, I want that. I just have the taste of my man. I want that right now. Can I, you know what God does? Oh, man, God is so good to us. Not only does he meet our most basic need and hunger, but sometimes he goes above and beyond and gives us good food, things we get to enjoy, and certainly things that we don't deserve. See, what's the point of that? Well, here's the point. The psalmist is making a good point. It's very fitting that he points to one of our greatest physical needs as a clear and obvious display of the mercy and love of God. The creator of all has provided for mankind in his basic needs. Someone just before the service sent me a text message and was joking and said, the end has come. And uh, it was with a picture from downtown Detroit. There's a herd of deer running through downtown Detroit in some roads down there. And I'm like, that may be the end. Who knows? I said this, well, kill some. We need some food. <laughs> if it's the end times, right? Shoot them, all right? Uh, so, I mean, think about it. We, uh, God has provided. And I would say this, because there's some people say, ah, well, what about famines? What about when people die from hunger? L- let me just be very clear. And young people, be good for you to grasp this. If man dies from hunger, we can only blame sin in its fallout. Sin ruined it. We can blame man and his greed and his selfishness, his his unkindness. See, God's plan for provision was the Garden of Eden. And what ruined that? Sin did. Sin did. And yet God in his mercy and loving kindness said, I'll still give you the animals and still give you dominion over the animals so you can kill them and eat them. And boy, God has provided for us. We cannot blame God for hunger and famine. That's not his fault. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We can praise him for the food and provision that the creator of all has given us. Furthermore, you know what's amazing? God has created you and I with the ability to work to manufacture things, to cook, to gather things with the ingenuity and the wisdom to put things together. Boy, I love it when a good recipe comes together, amen? 
God has created us with the ability and the ingenuity. Listen, you cannot think very long without realizing, wow, God has provided for us. He's met our even our most basic need. We can praise him for the food and provision that he as the creator has given all of us. His mercy endureth forever. And then this author, the psalm, he concludes his story with a call. One that is easily obeyed after reading this story. You come to the end, the, the final chapter, we might say, it's like, wow, what a great story. This is amazing. The theme that runs through all of this, his mercy endureth forever. And we get here and we read this call, verse 26. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. Now, I would say this. There's one more appendage. A uh, appendix, I guess, would be the better word. <laughs> There's one more footnote by the Holy, Holy Spirit that he adds on here. And I think this is crucial. Don't miss this. Because I really think this is what the author, certainly what the Holy Spirit intended, and I would insert. Here's a simple truth. You know what? We get down here to verse 26, and it's like, wow, well, that's the end of the story. No, it's not. Because there's a rest of the story. The story really doesn't end there. It keeps going on and on and on. Because you know what the author is telling us? What he has gotten to as a point? Really this. For every verse, every story, every adventure recorded here in this chapter, you and I can write more verses. You and I can write verses. I am 40-something years old. And uh, reality is I can look back and I can see. You know what? When Stephen Henry was a six-year-old, the mercy of God, his mercy endured forever. When I was 16 years old, the mercy of the Lord endured forever. When I was 26 years old, the mercy of the Lord endured forever. When I was 36 years old, the mercy of the Lord endured forever. I'll tell you, in a year or two here, when I'm 46, the mercy of the Lord will endure forever. If God sees fit to allow me to see 56 and 66 and 76 and 86, and I don't want to think beyond that, his mercy will endure forever. You see, friend, this story doesn't end. The author's making a point. The author is saying, hey, okay, you, you keep writing. You keep remembering that what is true and stated here is true for you. See, the fact is this. I can speak of an event in my life, a trial in my life, an adventure in my life, and I can boldly and truly say with it, as I relate it and recall it, in it while I'm going through it, and after it, I can say, for his mercy endureth forever. May I tell you, in 2020, in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic, his mercy endureth forever. In the midst of an economic crisis, in the midst of a, a health, you name it, his mercy endureth forever. And I would submit to you as a believer, and really here's the whole point that we get to deny. That should be the postscript of every event, every chapter, every season of our lives. Have you stopped adding that? Have you lost the proper context and attitude that this truth gives us? See, that's why the psalmist comes in the first verse and the last verse. He says what? Oh, give thanks to God. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His mercy endureth forever. And I'll tell you right now, probably, if we stop giving God thanks, if this week we've complained and we've whined more than we've given thanks, we've probably lost sight of the fact that his mercy endureth forever. 
We probably lost sight of all the things in our lives, all the verses, all the seasons, all the events, all the, uh, the adventures in life that God's shown himself strong on our behalf. We've probably forgotten it because I'll tell you, if you would look back and remember and you say, wow, God has been so merciful, he's been so loving, his kindness has been displayed throughout my life, I can't help but give him thanks. Heed the call of this author, this psalmist, to do that. And so he comes at the beginning. He says, listen, oh, give thanks. And maybe somebody reading Psalm 136 said, why should I give thanks? And then he goes through this whole chapter, and he points out every situation, his mercy endureth forever. And then he comes to the end, and he gives the last call, and he says this, oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven. So my challenge is much the same for you tonight. I believe this time of invitation we're going into right now should be a time of giving thanks tonight. I think it ought to be a time of recalling and, and uh, just remembering and praising God. Your mercy has endured forever. In just a moment, I want to invite you to do just that. You're sitting there at home and you're watching via live streaming. I, I would encourage you, uh, maybe a dad wants to lead your home in a time of prayer of thanksgiving. See, the world would think we're crazy in the midst of such a pandemic to praise God, but we, we know something different. We know the story. We know that his mercy endureth forever. So whether on an individual basis or as a family, whatever the case may be, could we take a few moments here in this invitation and make it a time of prayer, giving God thanks for the mercy and love that endures forever, that shows up in every season of life and is ever-present and never-changing. See, that was the point of the psalmist. Hey, Israel, you're in Egypt. God's mercy's there. Hey, Israel, you're in the wilderness. God's mercy's there. Boy, Israel, when you faced Og, (laughs) God's mercy was there. When you went into the land as an inheritance, God's mercy was there. And my friend, every day thereafter and every day before and every day during, when you ate, God's mercy was there. And by the way, Israel... Before you even were in existence, when God created the heavens and the earth, the sun and the moon and the stars, when God created the earth and the water, God's mercy was there. Ought we not to give him thanks tonight? His mercy endureth forever. I don't know about you, but I sure am thankful tonight for this never-changing truth in an ever-changing life. Father, we thank you so very much for your word this evening. Lord, we are um, humbled We are moved, we are challenged by your enduring mercy. Father, we rejoice. We thank you for it. And Father, we confess that there are times in our lives that we lose sight of your mercy. We stop giving thanks for who you are and what you've done in our lives. And we allow situations and circumstances to overwhelm us, doubts and fears to come over us like a wave. And Father, we let concerns and worry and anxiety just tread us over. And Father, we ought to, in those moments, be reminded that your mercy endures forever. Lord, in this invitation, I just simply pray that every person, whether here physically or there in their own homes, would just take a few moments, express in prayer to you a true thankfulness, a gratefulness for your wonderful mercy that endures forever. May we reflect and may we remember, may your Holy Spirit bring back memories of times in our life, of seasons and occasions and events and times in our lives where your mercy was always, always, always there. May we praise you for it tonight. 
And Lord, I pray that it would be a constant means and motive for us giving you thanks. May every day we be reminded that your mercy endureth forever. Though the world be turned upside down, though everything change, we're grateful that your mercy endureth forever. Lord, help us to give you thanks for it tonight in this invitation. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll ask you to join me in standing and we'll